listening to Skylight, the Skylight Books podcast. Skylight Books is a general interest bookstore in the Los Feliz neighborhood in Los Angeles. You can shop with us from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. or visit us online 24-7 at skylightbooks.com. Follow along at Skylight Books Instagram and Twitter. You can subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Thank you for listening, and now on to the episode. Hello, my beautiful and lovely listeners, and welcome to Skylit. This is a Skylight Books podcast, and I'm your host, Lance Morgan. Today, I'm so, so excited to welcome Stephen Van Dyke to read from his new book, People I've Met from the Internet, followed by a conversation with the both of us. But before I introduce him, I want to remind you that the Skylight Books, that the Skylight Books, is now open for in-store browsing. We are Following the CDC mandates of please, please, please bring a mask and please be respectful of your fellow customers and the staff there. But come on by, we're so excited to see you. You can also always shop online 24-7 at www.skylightbooks.com where you can do both curbside pickups and shipping. Stephen Van Dyke is a writer, artist, and educator whose first book, People I've Met from the Internet, came out in October 2019 on Ricochet Editions. The book has received praise from Miranda July, Chris Kraus, Dodie Bellamy, John Ricci, and D.A. Powell. Ziziva Magazine called it the ultimate memoir for the digital age. Van Dyke's work has also been written about in the Gay and Lesbian Review, LA Weekly, The Atticus Review, Full Stop Magazine, The LA Review of Books, Hyperallergic, and on Dennis Cooper's blog. An MFA graduate of Integrated Media, Critical Studies, and Experimental Sound Practices at Cal Arts, Van Dyke has reformed and presented works all around Los Angeles, including Lace, MOCA, LACMA, and Human Resources. Since 2008, Van Dyke has curated the Los Angeles Road Concerts, all-day arts events where over 300 LA artists and locals have reimagined unused outdoor public space along the entire lengths of LA's very long streets. Steven, I'm so excited to have you on. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited. Oh, I'm so excited too. This would be great. You have a reading for us today? I do. Perfect, perfect. I'll let you take it away. Okay. Um, so, uh, as you know, this is a list of everyone that I've met in person from the internet from 1997 to 2009. And so this is an annotation. I usually read from the beginning of the book. So I'm going to change things up and read an, uh, a, a longer annotation from still in the first uh, third of the book. Um, so this is um, the annotation for Quinn Kelly. <clears throat> Quinn and I first bonded in the main chat of the AOL Albuquerque M4M room, joking about the screen names of older men like N.M. Rimmer, ABQ Top For You, Boy Gemini, and Bi Married Guy, whose screen names were always at the bottom of the chat list 
meaning they had been in the chat room the longest, possibly for weeks or months. They mostly ignored my messages. Did they forget to log off? Sometimes they did respond begrudgingly, but disappeared when the topic shifted away from sex. It seemed as though the M for M room was the gay capital of Albuquerque for a time. A username named MPowerABQ entered the room every night to advertise a new nonprofit hangout place downtown for 18 to 29 year old gay men to learn about safe sex. The guys in the chat room discussed new music releases like they all somehow liked the same random things, including Tori Amos, when I still didn't know her music. And every night for at least a week, they talked about Madonna's Frozen. It was that summer driving through Tennessee on a family road trip that from the Choir Girl Hotel made so much sense to me. Tori wanted to know why screaming in cathedrals couldn't be beautiful and why there had to be a sacrifice. Quinn had a deep voice on the phone and a way of responding that let you know he was agreeing with you because he really did and not only because he wanted to. The first two times Quinn and I met, he picked me up at the street corner and we jerked off in a parking lot in his car. I came on his upholstery. Quinn, pale white with a goatee, tucked in black shirt and combat boots, could have been military personnel. Quinn was homeschooled after he brought a gun to his high school. He was expelled and spent a week in the Albuquerque D home, the detention center. Uh, Quinn also once told me in confidence that he woke up from a night terror holding a loaded gun to his head. Quinn used to steal computers and was never caught. My parents and I went once a week to a family counselor, Gary Swenson, who often sent one or two of us back to the waiting room so we wouldn't talk over each other. One time alone in the waiting room, I found a photo of Shirley Manson in a magazine, so I ripped it out. When my parents returned, they said I had vandalized Mr. Swenson's magazine and demanded I give him back the ripped page. I couldn't abandon Shirley Manson's eyeliner or leave any part of my bedroom walls blank. If it wasn't her face, I didn't feel like I had any face at all. I ran out of the building and walked several unfamiliar blocks through downtown Albuquerque. From a gas station payphone, I dialed 1-800-COLLECT and the number to Quinn's parents' house. Quinn picked up probably uh, our fourth meeting in person. Oh, sorry, Quinn picked me up probably our fourth meeting in person uh, and drove me back toward the mountain to my house. My parents were already there waiting for us. They had beers with Quinn while I sat in the other room on the computer. Quinn and I liked to play a game where one of us would get in the trunk while the other would drive to a random location. And then the one who rode in the trunk would get out and try to guess where we were. Quinn and I rewatched the Eurythmics music video collection on VHS so many times, I had a kind of memorized commentary I'd rehash to new viewers. Look at her pointy bra, I'd say, or who would wear a le leopard print coat to the zoo? The day I got that VHS was the same day my mother died. Watching all 21 Eurythmics music videos was the last thing we did together. 
My mother hardly said anything through those two hours. I never told her I liked boys, but I later wondered if watching Annie Lennox in a giant white wig screaming, I need a man, was my coming out. It was two days before Christmas, the first day of winter break. My mother and I had just been to my friend Valerie's house, so she and I could exchange Christmas presents. Valerie and I already knew what we got each other because we'd told each other what to get. I got the Alanis Morissette Unplugged CD, which I never listened to all the way through. I don't remember what I got for her. Afterward, my mother and I headed to Coronado Mall to buy me new pants at The Gap. We drove down Manal Boulevard past many malls and old record stores. At one point, I noticed the car was going toward the median. I looked over and my mother appeared to be passed out, her body leaning toward the door, hanging from the steering wheel like a windsock. I repeatedly jerked the gear back and forth, trying to move it to P, something I had been shown how to do years before. In an instant, we hit another car head on. After the impact, there was silence and time felt very slow. My teeth didn't feel right, so I pulled down the sun visor to open the mirror. I looked over and my mother leaned against the steering wheel as if she were asleep. People stores in the nearest mini mall. A woman helped me out an office phone to call my father and then the woman led me to a wall where we sat together. My mother's car and another car were crunched up against each other in the far lane that my mother would be okay. An ambulance arrived in front of a state farm insurance agency and defibrillator. She hadn't been wearing her seatbelt. I had my middle finger in my mouth, scratching at the shapes of each tooth to see which got chiseled. I found out later that my collarbone, collarbone was broken. At the hospital, a man brought us my mother's body and my first reaction was to start. We drove down Manal Boulevard past mini malls and old record stores. At one point, I noticed the car was going toward the median. I looked over and my mother appeared to be passed out, her body leaning toward the door hanging from the steering wheel like a windsock. I repeatedly jerked the gear back and forth, trying to move it to P, something I had been shown how to do years before. In an instant, we hit another car head on. After the impact, there was silence and time felt very slow. My teeth didn't feel right, so I pulled down the sun visor to open the mirror. I looked over and my mother leaned against the steering wheel as if she were asleep. People came running out of various stores in the near. I used an office phone to call my father and then the woman led me to a wall where we sat together. My mother's car and another car were crunched up against each other in the far lane. The woman put her arm around me and told me not to worry <clears throat> uh, that my mother would be okay. An ambulance arrived and my mother was laid out on the sidewalk in front of a state farm insurance agency and defibrillated. She hadn't been wearing her seatbelt. I had my middle finger in my mouth, scratching at the shapes of each tooth to see which got chiseled. I found out later that my collarbone was broken. 
At the hospital, a man brought us to my mother's body and my first reaction was to laugh. My father shed a single tear the only time I saw him cry. That night I dreamt I was standing in line at a cafeteria. My mother came up to me in line and said, don't tell your father, but I'm still alive. The next day, my mother's spiritual healing friends came to our house and one told me my mother had spoken to her, that she was still with me, that she loved me. Another said she saw my mother fly across the room toward the ceiling and vanish. Wow, what a powerful part of the book to read. Um, thank you for sharing that part. Sure. Um, yeah. Oh, where to start from there? I feel like um, I it's a hard follow. Um, no, thank you again for reading that. No, but I feel like, you know, it's it exists in both places. Like, you know, it's very that's seem you know what that's let's start off with um, a question for you. Um, I feel like a, a, this um, we're, how am I gonna phrase this? I'm still like very emotional from that. Um, <laughs> I, feel, I feel like we're in a generation um, that, you know, exists in a weird place where we were on the internet. Like we, we made so many connections on the internet, especially young, you know, queer closeted people who had nowhere else to turn and knew that it was secret was in your book is about that in a way that makes me think that you always wanted to write this. Is that true? Was it something that you were like, you know, one day I might like, I'm going to keep a record of this even in my mind so I could like share this one day. Uh, I think I always kind of lived life in a little bit of like a story way mm -hmm. um, where I just, find somebody or something interesting and I move towards it. And um, I think, you know, a lot of the time I just met, wanted to, I think that, I don't know what I thought was the reason why I wanted to meet someone, but they were, they just interested me and it's like, oh, I just want to see that person's bedroom or I don't know, like sometimes, I mean, that's maybe a kind of kooky thing to do, but. Um, no, I think it's, I think it's more normal than, I mean, it's not, it's normal in like a very young, cool, like I, I've met people from, I've become friends with on the internet. I feel like a lot of people meet them because it's like, it's a way to find people like-minded who, who are like-minded with you and just like share interests. But like, was it when in the 97, when you were starting to do this, did it feel like you know, new territory uh, for everyone, like a shared newness? Yes, yeah. I think back then, um, you know, there was no precedent for meeting someone from online in person. So we were figuring out how to do it each time. Um, at the, I mean, at the time, straight people were not meeting through the internet like gay people were. Yeah. Um, that they really started a lot a long time later and I feel like maybe they don't realize that sometimes but um yeah I think that uh it was 
it was it, it was just exciting to be in this space where there weren't any rules set yet. And I mean, it's the way you described that was very like Wild West, like which you know what is pretty true. It's like it was the Wild West. I mean, I feel like, and not to age myself, um, I feel like I was. Like when you you saying ninety seven to two thousand nine in your adulthood, I feel like that was when I start I started, and it also felt like you know the wild west in a way where like I don't know I, I feel like I was at the tail end of MySpace into like you know Tumblr was when I got into adulthood, and Tumblr also felt like that because it was like oh here's a bunch of horny queer kids talking to each other for no reason um about nothing important but like also very important things to us back then um did do you and i in your book talks about it but like how important was that to you that space that online world well i think it was it just came just in the nick of time for me because it was like i was 14, I had just turned 14 when we got the modem mm-hmm. and suddenly it was just like I had just become sexual like and got the internet and like I don't know it worked out perfectly that the I was a, it might have seemed to my parents like I was addicted because I needed mm-hmm. to go on there to have like who I was like yeah. reaffirmed somewhere and that was the only place <laughs> mm-hmm. and I looking back on it now do you feel like do you still think of it uh as a place like that I mean the internet's changed so much and like I mean I feel like the growing like more adult you feel like oh I don't need to hide as much behind the internet as I did when I was that young but like you know how does it when you look back on it do you feel that same like uh connection to the internet well back then it was like I uh, I got on there and I was seen differently. I desired, mm-hmm. I felt desired. I was, I was no longer alone. Like there were real queer people, not just like a couple TV characters. Mm-hmm. I, there were people I could see myself becoming like. Mm-hmm. Um, now it feels very scripted going on the, like meeting people through apps. And I feel like the more exciting, the wild west feels like going like and like cruising in a park or something yeah. <laughs> um, and but also not like you know t- like things weren't necessarily better then or better now because now like teens are filming their coming out moments mm. uh to post to tiktok and then there's like a whole community to uh like jump in and support them if something goes wrong and mm. I think that in 1998, I got like the very early primitive 1.0 version of that. Um, But yeah, I don't know. (laughs) No, I mean, that, what a, you're right. Like the in-person meeting is now like the, oh, what? This is crazy. How do we do this? Like, how do we talk to someone? Like if I wanted to like, um, you know, ask someone out, ask someone out for drinks or something, I'm like, I have I have to do that in person what does that mean what does that look like no it's 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 very I mean and look at the age of you know how many people how many kids are on TikTok and how many kids are on 
Instagram and uh, I don't know what I don't know what their apps they use. They probably have like secret apps that we haven't heard of yet. <laughs> um, I had a student who she wrote an essay about how her best friend she met through the app Kick. Um, oh yeah, I remember that app. Yeah, I know it went away. I did, yeah. I never would have thought that. I don't know. It's not <laughs> I would have thought she would have used, but uh, she said that she met. Um, her best friend who lives in Australia and that friend became her like person that she like leaned on the most through all these uh, trials and tribulations that she went through so I was like wow that's amazing (laughs) no and I yeah I mean I love that because I remember kick as like kick was a big hookup app back in the day too where that's and so I'm glad someone got you know actual genuine like connection that sticks today from that um that's right. good. I mean right. and there was yeah yeah no I mean there were so many there's so many ways to like connect I mean there's so even back then like the AOL of it all the I I got remembered watching the show um Pen 15 that like you could do that AOL chat where you like just talk to strangers you've never met who are in the area which is like I for, I forgot about that like that's how much the internet's changed since those days but like in writing this book did you have to revisit some of that like not even like who you were back then but like what technology looked back like back then you know, I was so glued to it that mm. I didn't really forget anything. And mm. I also, the way that I wrote this, uh, I started writing it when I was in my early 20s. And then I mm. like put it away and then pulled it out later. So it does seem like people have had a reaction like, wow, your memory is so amazing. And it's like, well, I actually just like wrote down a lot of the details a lot earlier in time. And then mm. more recently, I feel like, a better writer in me like fixed everything and made it a lot stronger but, yeah no I mean it feels like uh the bad the better way to write you know what that's a good writing tip for all the listeners out there write down everything now become a better writer and then write the book <laughs> write what you want to write that I'm being fully genuine too when I say it, like that's I'm taking note <laughs> I'm gonna write that down later too no I mean that's yeah <laughs> And looking back on like all the stuff that you've written about it, you've written about it. How how was that as like a self-reflection moment in the writing process of like having to like, you know, talk, kind of talk to the younger version of yourself? Yeah, I think uh, like the me that was going through all of these uh, events hadn't, I think for me, this is your question is about grief because uh, that's the thing that really like changed uh, when I really was thinking about everything as a writer is like, oh, this character is um, going through a lot of uh, grief. And um, I think at the time I was just so, I was just like underwater. Like I, mm. I was not seeing uh, how, how I was feeling as a 16 or 17 year old. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, but I think that you still get a sense of that through um, the, the writing, like you can really tell that this character is 
has a lot of feelings like stuff about mothers uh, comes mm. up and uh, the details that are selected um, can be, you know, they, the way it's written, it's like, you can really uh, apply a lot of, you can, you can look at it through a lot of lenses um, mm. because it's not really telling you exactly how to feel, but like a same moment could be read as both humorous or tragic, uh, depending on um, how you're reading it. But I think that the character, um, it's a sort of, I sort of went on a tangent, but the character is um, revealing a lot of feelings through the, through the details that are selected. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that was for me, how I um, bridged the feeling state of me then with me now. And mm -hmm. um, I definitely, yeah, I definitely see that era differently now than I did at the time. And do you think that's like, you know, healed in any way, helped healing um, a lot of, you know, that back then, the the trauma of everything happened and also the, you know, the pain, that drowning feeling that you were talking about that you had. Do you think that like you were able to even, not even heal as much as realize the healing that you've already done through all of it? Yeah, definitely the writing process helped me to heal. And I think also um, it helped me to, to like go back and be in that space. And um, yeah, um, there, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, that's, that's a, that, yeah, that's good. I'm happy, I'm happy that it helped in that way for you and there's no good way to transition into this. So I'm just gonna not, I'm not gonna come up with a good transition for it. But um, your book talks a lot about sex too in a really powerful way, I think, because like, it's not, it's it's honest. It's honest about sex for in a, for like that, for your age then you're, you know, like the evolution of it too, the way that like, it's it's not something that like, it's like to watch you treading through water, kind of like learning about yourself in that way, learning about sex, which is, you know, very honest. How, how was that looking back on that for you? Like, just like, and you know, being so like honest about it too, that must have, that must have been like a interesting thing to, you know, put out there. Yeah, I feel like I was just writing about life and sex mm. happened a lot and yeah. I think uh I don't know why people hesitate so much to describe sex I you know it's part of our culture of prudishness or something yeah um, <laughs> but um it's 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 like kind of the setting is just sex mm -hmm. <laughs> but like I think some people read the book I have a relative who was like why don't like you wrote a book that is like, I, it's alienating to like straight men. Um, <laughs> I was like, uh, well, maybe, it, maybe it's not for them then, I don't know. Or, um, and I think that also for her, she kind of, I think, well, she's my sister-in-law. She was like, she's much older than me, but she was worried about me, I think in general. And, um, 
sort of saw the sex as like turning to promiscuity because I didn't know how to cope with my problems or something like that. And I was like, no, I don't think that that's true. I think it's uh, more like, uh, I, I said something like, have you ever been on a long plane ride and like had a good chat with somebody that, and you felt like best friends by the end? Like yeah. all kinds of intimacy can take place that last, you know, when you're with somebody, even just for a few hours, like mm -hmm. connection and distance, a lack of connection can happen at any length of time, I think. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I think that like my creative energy in that time was like often uh, in a sort of sexual mode, mm -hmm. like interesting conversations sometimes uh, only happen when people have like really let their guard down and sometimes sex can be like the way in. I don't know. Yeah. No, I mean that um, it makes sense. I mean, it's a vulnerable thing. It's something that like you, you have to be vulnerable with your partner, partners, part, not to, you know, monogamize it. Monogamize? Did I make up that word? I'm sticking with it. Dictionary.com to reach out to me. Um, no, uh, it's a good word. It's a good word. But um, yeah, you have to be vulnerable. And in that vulnerability stuff comes out. Yeah, there's, and it's interesting to me that like, um, your sister-in-law said it's alienating to straight men, because so much of media is for straight men and like no one else feels alienated by it, right? I mean, we, we've we had to accept that for so many years. Why can't they accept, you know, this? Yeah. Straight straight sex has been on TV for years, but you know, yeah. you talk about any other kind of sex, any queer sex in any kind of context. And then it's like, hmm, this isn't for us. What? And they go crazy. It's so, it's it's actually a really funny thing to me to see like, the straight people, specifically straight men, uh, cisgender straight men, go crazy the second that they see anything that's not focused towards them. Right. So thank you for being a part of that movement to sure. make cisgender straight men go crazy. But like, um, it's also, I didn't write it in a, in like a horny way at all. Right. In fact, most of the sex is written in a really ugly way. Um, and, <laughs> People might not know that just like seeing the book like on a store shelf or something, mm. but like, <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, and it doesn't seem horny. It doesn't seem horny. It doesn't seem like, you know, uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> no, no. I mean, listen, nothing wrong, right? To everyone, anyone who wants to write a horny book, please, you have my yeah. blessing. Please send it in. We'll I I'll read it. I'll love it probably. Please write it. Please make it queer though. But like I love it. But like you know, I feel like there's a stigma where any kind of like non uh, non cis straight sex is inherently like seen as uh, promiscuous, is seen as horny, is seen as oh they're they're just being sexual for in a very uh, crude way. Where it's like no, it's sex exists. Sex exists in any, sex exists for um, many different ways and many different ways it can be told. Like it's not, doesn't have to be, it's important. It's a part of life. Um, I think that, yeah, I think that we're at an, like our uh, communities are at an advantage in terms of 
like, oh, like being a slut is okay, mm -hmm. more, well, more okay. And mm -hmm. some things only turn up in a, like a slutty setting that help you or anyone to evolve sometimes. Um, and so I feel sort of thankful for that in retrospect. Like, where would I, who would I be? Where would I be without yeah. like, having had a lot of these meetings and uh, people that I've known? Yeah. And I feel like, I mean, experiences like yours and, you know, people, experiences like yours um, that are, you've told that are being told and being very visible is very, is helping like younger generations who one, or don't realize the privilege they have, you know, privilege of like, you know, being the world being a little bit more open, a little bit more uh, safe for them to tell their stories. I'm not saying a lot, I'm not saying it's a hundred percent, but like a little bit more because it's so visible now for them to even like, the, the things I see on TikTok where like people talk about like younger people, like, and by that, I mean like 18 year olds, 20 year olds, teenagers are talking about just like, their own journey in that way that like you know i feel like for older generations it took a second we had we can't we were hidden we had to hide a lot of like those things that we wanted to talk about but then like you know these kids are able to be open about it so it, it's it's interesting to see that grow have you seen that have you seen like younger generations like react to your book in this way uh yeah, I don't know. I don't know how young people who've like responded to the book who I've ex that I've experienced. I don't know mm -hmm. how old they were, <laughs> but I do feel like I mean I have students. I have a student right now who is queer and like is like verbally like loudly explaining to like straight boys sitting near him in my community college English class mm. like all of the like issues of being queer and like I, I talked to him about something once and he's like oh this will be good for like getting over my own shame like and I was just thinking wow. like he's so like uh aware of his process mm -hmm. and like so ready to be like no I like I'm deal like I'm going through this right now and I need all these resources. And I'm just like, I'm not worried about you at all because you even are framing it that way. Like you're already like a mile ahead of where I was at your age. So I'm just like, wow. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, a person very close to me who like, when I came out to him was very like, originally was like oh no I don't know how to process this and then was and then years later was like oh I took a bunch of classes on like you know queer gender and sexuality um and learned so much more than I realized and it was like I was like whoa I never expected that it's like I don't expect like younger people and it was a younger a person younger than me um I was like I didn't expect that and they were like yeah everyone in my age is doing that everyone like all my friends like his girlfriend was like um already in that class I think and he was just like yeah I she was telling me all these things that I thought was wrong and didn't realize and he was like it made me a better partner too to her 
because I was able to like understand a lot of ways that I was being like problematic. So yeah, no, I think that's like, I mean, have you taught your book to your class at all or used your book as an example to your class? Uh, that would be weird, but <laughs> um, no, I've had I... to be like, oh, you're an author. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> um, but well, I was just going to say, well, and I, yeah, I do think that like my book has been in, taught in the, uh, some classes mm-hmm. uh, because they've had, they've, I've gotten uh, invitations to speak in people's classes. Wow. Um, but uh, I was going to say like, this all sounds as though this time that I've written about is like historical at this point. Mm -hmm. But I do think that like all of the qualities of that time are still also here. We just Mm -hmm. also have more resources. So in a way you, you and I are not the same age, but both feel a little bit like we experienced something else that young people don't have, but they do have it. We just had it in a more concentrated uh, amount and I think mm-hmm. that like probably f- until the end of time people will need to read stories uh, that have like a more concentrated amount of like trying to figure everything out because there's not exactly the guidance necessary yeah I mean I f- always daily I'm like oh yeah it's only been like blah 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 since I was a, how this many years since I was a teen and then like I've read something where I'm like these kids are like oh yeah I just learned about what uh I don't know give me anything that existed in the early 2000s like we just learned that this existed like dial-up that was something I real I've heard recently they were like oh yeah I just learned that dial-up existed you had to like you couldn't use your phone while you were on the internet and I'm just like oh my god I'm old I'm so old <laughs> I'm like I'm just aging myself all the time I um but like yeah it's you're right it's a different time it's historical it's uh you know documentation of this time period that like doesn't necessarily exist anymore which is great I think but um I mean, to revisit that time period, do you miss it in any ways? Do you miss? I would say mostly I probably don't because it was like, I think that something that happens when we get nostalgic is that we are ignoring or erasing the like very actually violent conditions of that time. And it's really easy to watch like, I don't know, music videos of (laughs) Evanescence or uh, garbage or stuff from the late 90s early 2000s and just be like oh everything was so great but it's like oh my god I was like sitting in my car crying like for an hour a day uh, and like I don't know like everyone was not uh, nice to, to uh, somewhat effeminate boys mm-hmm. in 2002 and oh, yeah. WeHo was this horribly obnoxious place um, where like, like even being slightly out of the, you know, the homo norm was uh, felt like really awful. Like I, I couldn't even step foot in West Hollywood without being brought to a state of abject shame. Not that it's that much better now, but at least <laughs> how people are like identifying as non-binary and like, being like work <laughs> I, was, I was gonna I was gonna say yeah and that's all changed that's all different we host the, 
paradise now. Um, no, I mean, I'm just like, don't go away. We need some gay space. Please, horrible place that makes me feel bad. Don't leave us. <laughs> no, that's the vibe. It's like, wow, I I can be uh, body shamed and uh, kick in like the uh, it's the remember that like oh god this is outdated too i guess the no fats no femmes no uh all, all that like no blacks no asian like yeah. that trend on that i'm like it, it 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 doesn't exist in the same way anymore it exists but not in the same way but like i mean those are what those spaces feel like sometimes but yeah, a part of me is like, don't go because that's it. That's that's what we have. And sadly, like, I want more. I want it. I I want to keep kind of that. I want to keep these memories of a certain time period too, which I feel like. I mean, again, talking about like things that they were probably toxic. They were probably traumatic for a lot of people, and maybe it's that nostalgia speaking. But like, you know. Yeah, right. I don't know. Maybe I am nostalgic. I don't. I feel like I went on a little tangent there, but yeah, nostalgia. <laughs> Something about nostalgia. Um, it's interesting no. as we we can long for something that was also very hard and cruel. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, just, it's weird. It's complicated. Yeah, and I wanted. I a question I had with this book was why end it at 2009 like what like why couldn't it go further to like today for you it probably could have um but i saw it like that this this sort of story arc of uh that time had kind of run its course um with with the character who is nini and um also the internet story arc i feel like had kind of run its course like Right after where it ends, I mean, I could, it would have been like a whole bunch of like job interviews and mm. like meeting, like becoming more part of a writer community. Mm-hmm. There's a little of that in there though. Like definitely the third third of the book has a more of like a, um, what's called a Kunstler Roman, which is like an artist's novel, artist's coming of age story vibe. Mm. There's a lot of like performance documented, um, but I think I think it would have gotten a lot more boring. Also, it would have turned into like grinder. Is that the internet? I don't know. It's like it's it's like, something. <laughs> it exists somewhere. Um, I did like create a list of people I met since the book ended. Mm-hmm. And- I tried to remember it from like a year ago and I couldn't remember people very well, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I feel like, I feel like from, um, and tell me if I'm wrong, but it's like from that age, it was more important. The people that you met there were more important where now it's like, I meet on the internet, 80 people a day probably if I really like if I wanted to I could easily meet 80 people a day and it's like it's I'm being very wow I'm being very that's a very like I feel like a very uh self like 
proclamation like yeah i can easily meet 80 people a day i'll i'll rephrase i hopefully can be 80 people a day but um you know when you're younger it, it's more impactful it's like oh these are the first people like me i'm meeting and these are the first you know this is me wait uh waiting in the water a little bit into like what i want to be what i want to grow into yeah i'll also add that in 2009 i would say that's around the time that people meeting, because uh, the constraint of the book is that I met them, I talked to them first online and then met mm -hmm. in person. And I think starting in 2009, doing that mainstreamed, it became very common to do so. And so it no longer was like a special thing. Although mm -hmm. I don't think that my experience in general is like that special. I just, I think like for like for the kind of like the age and community that I belonged to, it was actually very mundane. And the way that I've written this, I might have met more people than some people have, but mm -hmm. actually like the whole point of having a book with a title that is sort of the constraint, the rule of how the book is written is to sort of imply what is your people I've met from the internet or what is your generation's version of meeting from the internet? Um, maybe like for somebody who's 16 right now, they could write a people I actually met in person or <laughs> I don't know. Oh my God. That's a challenge for all the teens listening, which you know, I, if there are any, um, that's follow up this book with, um, reach out to Steven, follow up that book with people you've met in real life, you know, um, that's, I mean, and thinking about, you know, in terms of the pandemic too, that's probably important for them too. A lot of, I mean, did you revisit this book during that time and during the pandemic time and like, you know, only having, getting to meet people on the internet, getting to see friends, family, your students on the internet, like did that kind of make you more, you know, nostalgic maybe, or like just even revisiting that time period for yourself? I think that like it was, uh my age onward that people really started to like not necessarily know how to meet in person mm -hmm. uh, like i never was pushed into a, a situation where i had to cruise like there's mm -hmm. like alex espinosa wrote this book cruising and you mm -hmm. can see how like the circumstances really pushed him to like yeah. learn to be a cruiser and i know i was like the very first uh, age, you know, the very, very first generation, just maybe even by a year to mm. not have to learn in any capacity. And I feel like uh, even the pandemic, I mean, this is pri a privileged position to, to have, but it felt very like regular and familiar to just be at home and, uh, and almost just like kind of comfy. I know that other people did not have a comfy experience with the pandemic. So um, I have students living in like multifamily households where they were all like stuck at home with each other and or like people having to work two full-time jobs through the pandemic yeah. and like, oh, why would I wear a mask? Like I've been at work all day, not like, like I've been out in the world all day. Right. Like sure I'm gonna get the virus is like the mentality. No, and I mean, yeah, it's been a, it's been an interesting time, but like 
yeah i mean when i'm glad for you that you um you know got to like be got to have that space but also that um you know it was that for you it was that very comfortable uh familiar place i mean and i no that's great that's great um the last question i have for you um and it's kind of i want to turn a question that i'm assuming you get a lot on its head in a way um because i'm assuming you get the question what would you say to that younger person now as an adult right am i right do you get that question a lot what would what do you think the other way around would look like if that younger person came to you what would you know what would they say what would they what do you think they would feel like oh i like that like if they were to, like, what should the younger person say to me? Yeah. Oh, um, well, I keep thinking about, um, I don't know. I have this professor who said, he said, the bedroom is the new urban, the living room is the new suburban and going outside is the new rural. Um, and so I feel like maybe what somebody who's younger might say to me is like, go outside, log off, like stop being on social media. I think also like a, a vibe that I'm getting from younger people is like to just like be unapologetically yourself. I don't think this is like some like, uh, it's, not, it's nothing new to any, anybody listening but like we have like people are so much more uh, like this is who I am and f you if you don't get it. I think that I still could learn that lesson a little bit more um, to just be myself. I but. bet if there are listeners out there who, you know, you say it's like not it, and it's and I've heard. I mean, we all we've all heard that at one point in our life uh, or another. But like, it's good to be reminded. It's good to like. It's one of those things that like, you're not, I feel like there are people who are like, yeah, I'm gonna hear it once and know it and I'm gonna do it every day. No, it's, you know, it's something that you need to keep affirming. It's an affirmation. But you think you think that's what your younger self would say to you? you would, he, oh, my, my younger self. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were saying- <laughs> A younger person. A young person now, oh, okay. No, I mean a younger, but also that's, yeah, a younger person that is, that is a, you know what, maybe that is the answer for, that was a good answer for a younger person. But yeah, what would, do you think your younger self would say to you, your younger self like got in a time machine and came today and got to say anything, ask a question maybe, or? I remember feeling as a young person, sometimes meeting older gay men and mm -hmm. queer people in general, uh, thinking that they seemed a little hung up on uh, got, you know, caught in the snags of life. And mm -hmm. I always thought like, oh, when I'm that age, when I'm in my thirties or forties or fifties, I'm not gonna like uh, get caught up in like the like stupid drama of life. And I'm going to be like an authentic person. And I'm not gonna be like filled with age shame or any kind of shame. And like, I'm regularly catching myself be like, oh, that's like the, the, I've like, there's, there's a vibe of, of like so-and-so that I met in like 2003 um, that I now in my late thirties 
I see in myself and I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, like, okay, maybe I need to not take myself so seriously and relax and um, yeah. Uh, I mean, enjoy yourself. And like, I feel like that's the younger person. I feel like, I feel like the younger version of you would be very happy to like know that like, you know, it all, it, it, oh God, to quote that campaign from uh, another historical thing that we probably will <laughs> dig up a year, years ago. You know, it it gets better. <laughs> God, I that hurt to say. Um, <laughs> but like, yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it did it, it, it got better. It gets better. It, it changes. That's it. It changes. It changes. Things change. It, things it changed. It things changed. Things have improved. Some things, new challenges have emerged. Yeah. But and not even it gets better. I feel like you get the you get better as you age. You get you get more rely uh, reliable. You get more resilience. You get more empowerment you know you get better you get better that's i'm gonna i'm gonna bring that campaign back with that phrase you get better i'm gonna get all those celebrities who did it before to come back and do it again (laughs) have you heard somebody say uh youth is wasted on the young or something like that oh yeah i think that i think that uh my younger self was probably looking at older people uh, with a remove, like I, mm-hmm. like in a way, like oh God, when I'm that age, I hope I'm not like that. And now I'm that age, and I see why people were like that. But yeah. now I'm like, oh, youth is wasted on the young because <laughs> I have all this wisdom now. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I still feel like I have a friend who's like, oh, now that we're in our late thirties, we're too tired to do blah blah blah. I'm like, I'm not tired why are you tired how did you get tired like we're not 80 what's going on I don't know I think my younger self would be like oh yeah you're still like young (laughs) no I mean I I like I still there are times that's that younger self of my of me who like you know didn't get to do things because I was hung up on something. I was being, you know, I was being a kid and was like, oh, I'm too cool for that or blah, blah, blah. Now, whenever I make choices, I'm like, I'm doing it for that young person who I, like, maybe I don't have the energy. Maybe I shouldn't go dancing because my knees are not as good as it used to be. But you know what? I'll care about that tomorrow because tonight I'm young. Tonight I'm young and yeah. I can do it. And I, so that's to everyone listening, go out tonight. Go <laughs> party go party for that young person inside you who's still there and exists and you know deserves to be there you're young you're all young I don't care how old any of you guys are you're young we're young we're forever young and you know what's funny it's funny even I have students who are like 18 and refer to TikTok as something for that they're too old for like everybody feels old even people who are dreadfully young think that they're old. We live in a culture that is just so uh, obsessed with youth that nobody is young enough ever. Everyone is already too old. Like, oh, you're eight, it's too late for you to have your Mickey Mouse Club moment and become Britney Spears or Justin Timberlake. Like, 
<laughs> oh, I look at like the euphoria kids. I'm like, well, I passed my prime. <laughs> They're the, it's them now. It's the, um, no, I get it though. It's very, but also I, I like being older. I like being able to be like, eh, I'm okay with it. Like, I'm okay with the idea of like missing out on something because like, you know, there'll be another thing probably, but also I'm okay to know that I can miss out. I can miss out and be okay. I like I like getting older. I like, I, I'm okay with it. I'm making my peace. This is me convincing myself. I want everyone to know. This is me convincing myself that I'm okay with getting older um, and not crying every day. Um, no, we're, it's, I think that's good advice. Yeah, to be like, to feel young, to feel young. We're young. Look at our young selves, look at our younger selves and be like, I'm still young. And then punch that younger self in the face because they're making fun of you. Um, and I, I'll just add one little thing. One thing that's really potentially wonderful about uh, like hookup culture and meeting people in queer spaces is that people can meet people that are very different ages and learn from each other because we're so stuck with people our own age. Yeah. Like I'm gonna guess that like 90% of people that I see regularly are within three years of me in age. Mm-hmm. And we can learn a lot from our our elders and the youth, like uh, both directions. I mean, I feel like people of my age group love TikTok for that reason, because they're like, I'm hanging out with the kids. I'm hanging out with the young people and I'm able to the young people. Oh, God, I sound like my grandfather. I'm hanging <laughs> out with I'm hanging out with those, the the teens and the you know, Gen Z kids, because I, and they're like, they, I mean, in a way that I feel like is non-threatening, because in person, I wouldn't, in person, they scare me, but like on TikTok, I'm like, wow, I just learned about like critical race theory from a 16-year-old, and in a way that's fun, like behind like Dua Lipa's music, like it's, and like, I love that, I love that, like, it's a, we're, People who are in their 30s um, are able to now look back at the kids in their like teens and early 20s and say, I have a relationship with them. I know what they're talking about. I know what this means. And I know what, and they, I feel like I get them a little bit. I maybe get them more. We're able to understand them more. Um, And the other way around, we're like, I feel like the older TikToks are the same way. We were just like, I respect that this like 80 year old farmer who like just hangs out with his animals, but also understands like um, gender studies. Um, Like, you're just like, oh, wow, they exist. No, it's fun. It's it's fun. Um, What I'm saying is- I just want to say, yeah. No, no, go on. No, what were you saying? Oh, I was going to say, I just want to say from a 90s perspective, who knew that the uh, public access channel would have gotten so popular? Right? It's <laughs> not me. I would not have guessed. That was a channel I always skipped over. And now it's like the cool thing. I I am a, I will never understand cool culture because it baffles me daily. But the kids, wow. Socks with uh, Crocs. I'm still... Crocs and Crocs are back and the kids are bringing Crocs back and they're like we don't care what we don't care what you guys say about it they're comfortable and they're cool and I'm just like wow I always thought they were cool but I never had the bravery to face everyone hating them but 
Now I'm like, oh, now they're too cool. I can't wear them. <laughs> See, and now you have to, but that's, you have to go for it now because you got to be one of these cool, be, be a cool kid, be a, one of these, any, they'll, they'll, one thing I realized is that they're, the younger kids are also not afraid to like, say if something's like I feel like the 90s early 2000s kids were like oh we can't be too cool we got to be like if you think it's cool we have to like reevaluate it to make sure that it is cool now these kids are like and eh, the crocs are cool that's like if you if you're in your 30s wearing crocs they're like no you look great they're very affirming they're very like affirming to everyone and I love that um yeah basically that is a big big difference that yeah. you just pointed out it was back then it was like oh no I can't act like I want to be part of the club and now yeah. there's so there's such a strong feeling of like like do you know the secret password which is everywhere and everybody knows what it is yeah but, but like oh I know what it is I'm part of the club yeah. yeah I want the I hope the Gen Z kids are listening to this and think I'm cool I want them to be friends with me I want this what I'm saying is this is going to be a TikTok I'm changing this whole platform to a TikTok um just so the Gen Z kids can be friends with me um I'm sure they think you're cool I'm sure they uh, walk into skylight and they're like he is the coolest oh my god I could cry I could cry <laughs> I I hope I that's all I hope for from this endeavor is to just be cool to Gen Z kids um Steven I I'm this has been amazing this has been so much fun and you know you've made me feel young and cool and hip uh, words that do not, you know, do not have anything to do with the younger generation anymore. Uh, <laughs> no, but I mean, you, this has been great to like talk about, you know, it, the culture from back then, but also your personal experiences too. Um, before we go, I just want to tell everyone listening, you can now currently buy Stephen's book, um, People I've Met from the Internet. I got the name wrong. Um, I was like, I'm gonna mess up one word there, but I didn't. Um, you could buy Stephen's book right now at Skylight. You can go in; it'll be right up front in our podcast display, right as this episode comes out. So please go there, grab a book. If you're '90s kids like us, you will just live in the past, but also really just live it through your story, Stephen, and understand like your own past, maybe with that and you know, feel a connection there. So please stop by and grab yourself a copy. Stephen, would you like to say anything to the, you know, independent bookstore and your local bookstore um, community? I'm just so happy that we have uh, independent bookstores. And, you know, I was honestly very worried about them through the pandemic. Um, and so I'm just so thankful for uh, which places have survived and are still mm -hmm. uh surviving and thriving um and we need these spaces uh i need i'm like selfishly i need these spaces i need to go i need a place to go and sit under an indoor tree and yes. like read excerpts from random books and yeah i'm so thankful for skylight books yeah uh, and you know i know a place that has an indoor tree we could sit under um if you want to know more, come to Skylight Books and I can tell you where it is. Um, <laughs> uh, that's me setting a trap for you guys to all come to Skylight. Uh, no, thank you again, Stephen. Thank you. Thank you so much for one, giving us this great book and two, being a 
you know, just a fan of Skylight um, and, you know, a regular and a customer there. We, we love, I mean, the local authors who come in, you guys, it's crazy. We get some great people like Stephen who are coming in and sharing their amazing books with us. So thank you again, Stephen, for that. And to all my listeners out there, thank you so much for either returning or, you know, coming here, listening for the first time. And I hope you come back and listen to another episode and tell your friends about it too. So uh, we get, so they can also be like shown these amazing authors that I get to speak with very a very lucky thing I get to do but to all my listeners you have a great rest of your day do something nice for yourself and you know I'll see you soon bye thank you for listening to the skylight books podcast series please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on twitter and instagram also don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon.